message today is entitled Breaking the Chains. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. That means teachers of the Word. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. This is the burden that ministers carry when they respond to the call of God to teach the Word. We are under a stricter judgment. We must teach the entirety of the Word and not shy away from any topic, including the book of Revelation. As we've been going through this series now, I'm hoping that you've been learning more about God and His Word and His commands. And as we dive deeper into this, I will let you know the volume turns up as it does today. Yet very few indeed teach the entirety of the book of Revelation and its defined implications. For many today would rather build their popularity and their fame and their worldly influence and their pocketbooks by preaching what is referred to as cotton candy messages that gives everyone the warm fuzzies on the inside but doesn't change it at all. I uh, follow a lot of old-time people who passed before me, but old-time theologians. One of them that I studied a bit is Leonard Ravenhill. He once said this, If Jesus preached the same messages that ministers preach today, He would never have been crucified. I'm here to tell you that this is not one of those modern-day messages that is full of fluff and lacking biblical truth and conviction. On the contrary, I believe that today's message that I believe God has given me is a monumental message, one that needs to be preached, but many would never touch it with a ten-foot pole for the sake of offending their hearers with the truth of God's Word. But I will tell you, if the flesh, if our flesh is not offended, if the soul is not convicted with the Word of God, then what kind of preacher would I be? For we would remain trapped in our sins and stuck in the chains of bondage to the enemy. Thus, I choose to be obedient to God, that His Word may do a work on every soul who needs rescue and redemption, and on every life that seeks to stay strong, to remain in His will and continually be filled with God's grace and perfect love which casts out all fear. Thus we begin one of the toughest or challenging messages in the book of Revelation in the letters to the churches. It's at Revelation 2, verse 18. Remember, Jesus is speaking to John. It says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet are like fine brass. As like all the letters in this section to these seven churches, they're to be del delivered to an angel or to a messenger, but they are sent by Jesus. And notice when they introduce Jesus, the Son of God, notice the specific identifiers that are used here to introduce this letter to the church of Thyatira. His eyes are like a flame of fire. What does that mean? For starters, it means that He sees all things. 
He sees right through your actions, through your words, through your thoughts. He knows your inner motivations even before you do. He knows what you're going to do even before you do it. He knows what you're going to say even before you say it. And even when you're, he knows what you're going to reason even before you reason to follow through with what you're doing. Yet he still says, come. He knows you're going to sin and he still says, come to me. In other words, there's nothing you can hide from him. He knows the truth because he is the truth. Since this is clearly evident throughout the Word, then why do any of us, even for a minute, think that we can keep things from God? Why do we think that we can get away with secret sins? Why do we think that no one knows about our impure thoughts, our selfish motivations, and the schemes of our heart? Here, Jesus cuts to the chase, and He says, I know the truth. Are you willing to admit it? Are you willing to properly confess your sins to Jesus? Not on Facebook, not in a group of people, but to God alone. Are you willing to own up to your choices to transgress, to fully acknowledge your weaknesses and your strongholds and your failures? Because if you do, Jesus can help you. He can and He will forgive you completely. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far He will remove your sin from you. He can and He will redeem you. He can and He will use you for His purposes in this world to help others who are in need of His light and His love. Therefore, if we know we are talking to the One who sees right through everything we do, then we should all have a healthy fear of the Lord. As you know, that's what's missing in the world today. As the moral fabric unravels, there's no fear of the Lord because it's become politically incorrect to talk about the fear of the Lord. That might hurt someone's self-esteem. How many know it's not about your self-esteem, it's about your self-worth? Right? We are worth so much to Jesus that He died for us. That's self-worth. After all, again and again in Scripture, we see this truth. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A healthy fear and reverence for the Lord recognizes the truth that He sees everything. He is omniscient. That means that He knows everything even before it happens. Thus, we have no excuse. It's time for all of us to come clean so He can make us spiritually clean by the power of His blood. Revelations 2, verse 19. Jesus continues speaking to this church of Thyatira. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. That's a good thing. What most people don't understand about the book of Revelation is that each of these letters is to a church. In other words, Jesus is addressing Christians, not unbelievers, not heathens, not atheists. 
He's speaking to believers. For some would say there's no need for tough messages for the believers since we already have our ticket punched to heaven. But that's precisely the point. The greatest danger we have is to become content in where we are with God. To take advantage of God's grace and to allow the world to pull us back in to the chains of bondage inflicted by the enemy. Thus, Jesus gives these precise warnings to John to go tell the churches what he sees and what he knows and what will happen if these churches and these Christians don't repent now and turn to him. Our only hope. But he also tells them the reward that awaits each church. If they repent, if they come to Him, if they stay steadfast in their faith, if they keep a healthy fear of Him and remain submitted to the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus is recognizing the good works they are doing, but also finding things that must be cut away. He's doing the pruning, which has to happen in all of us. And we can be thankful that we have a very wise gardener who prunes us so that we may bear more fruit. But before He prunes this church, He affirms the things that are going well. Remember, He sees all things. He's not just there to correct us. He's there to build us up as well if we remain steadfast in the faith. He sees their love like He sees your love. He sees their service to others like He sees all of our service to others. He sees their faith and their patience. For He knows that patience is needed to love the unlovable, to teach the unteachable, and to forgive those who will never apologize or admit wrongdoing. He also sees the greater works. He sees what they have done lately and how they have grown in their service and their faith. Those are all tremendous things to be affirmed of by God. But then Jesus hits him right between the eyes with the truth. Revelations 2, verse 20. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Who was Jezebel? See, they believe that there was an actual woman in the church, but she was operating out of the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel was a, someone who's in the Old Testament. Most church scholars believe that this is a metaphorical reference to the evil Jezebel in the Old Testament, an idolatrous woman who killed the Lord's prophets. Anybody who spoke God's word to people, she had them killed. In fact, Elijah was sent to a cave in hiding. Remember Elijah that called down fire? He was sent to a cave in hiding because all the Lord's prophets, most of them had been killed, except for a few that were saved. Jezebel ordered the killing of all these prophets of God. She defiantly opposed the ways of God. She was married to the weak king Ahab, who never confronted her and never corrected her. She refused to submit to any authority of her own, including God. Thus, she became very controlling and very destructive. This church in Thyatira had allowed the spirit of Jezebel 
to work unhindered through a false prophetess who was leading believers into compromise by not confronting false teaching that didn't line up with God's Word, the believers in this church itself were engaging in sexual immorality and dabbling in idolatry. Thus, Jesus pronounces one of His strongest judgments on this Jezebel and calls the church to repent of its sin. And while this was a serious offense, at the church of Thyatira, the spirit of Jezebel still wreaks havoc today on churches and families and ministries. It is included in the book of Revelation not simply as a history lesson, but as a warning to all churches and to all individuals today. The spirit of Jezebel does not operate biblically. And even more, it does not acknowledge wrongdoing, and therefore it does not repent. This is why Jesus pronounces such strong judgment against the church of Thyatira. He knows that we are all sinners. Every one of us is a sinner. In need of God's grace and in need of His forgiveness. But the only way that we have access into this grace is by us being open to conviction. Admitting our wrong. Understanding our absolute and continual need for Jesus. And asking God to forgive us so that we can become right with Him, thus saving our souls. When we refuse to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, when we refuse to repent when our lives are compromised by sin, then even God cannot help us. You understand that? The God who created all the universe is restricted if we don't repent and come to Him. He will not come in and change your life unless you give it to Him, unless you repent. It's not what the whole church of the world is teaching. There is a false gospel out there peddled by a man named Rob. can't think of his name. He's from Grand Rapids. He wrote a book called uh, Love Wins. He said, you can live however you want. In the end, Rob Bell is his name. In the end, he said, in the end, God's love will, will cover everything. And, and the worst sinner will still come to heaven. Because God has so much love, He will forgive everything. So if that's true, anybody can live however they want. He teaches that there's no hell, which is a contrary to the Bible. That's wrong. We need to repent. We need to come to God. We need to put our trust in Him. Not just say that we can live however we want and He'll pull us to heaven anyways. That goes against the Bible if you read it. The only way we can access to God's grace is by admitting our wrong and repenting and turning to Him. It's as if we, if we don't repent, it's as if we're giving Jesus a stiff arm and telling Him to stay out of our lives because we can manage it on our own. Church, brothers and sisters, this is a wake-up call. The strongest judgment pronounced in this book is given to the church and the individuals who not only allowed false teaching, but refused to allow God's Word to penetrate their souls, and thus they refused to repent. We cannot remain in bondage to our pride, to our indifference, to our ignorance of God's Word and His expectations. It's time to break the chain of bondage that keeps God's people down, that keeps His church 
from victory that keeps the Holy Spirit from moving in power in the world today. The only way to break that chain is to come to Jesus. Each of us, individually, expecting to be corrected. Not expecting to fight our case or to give our justification or to tell how bad it is or why we have it. God already knows. We should go to Him expecting to be corrected. Expecting to be convicted. And if we're expecting that we wouldn't fight it so much. Expected to be broken down so that God alone can build us back up in Him and on, on the foundation of His perfect Word and on his, per, on his Spirit and on His will. We all have sin in our words and in our thoughts and in our deeds. No one is immune from this truth. We must repent and turn to Jesus and admit our absolute and ongoing need for His forgiveness, His redemption, His grace, and His love. Why this message today? It's Communion Sunday today. The Bible tells us that we are to examine our hearts, to not take of this in an unworthy manner, to not just do it because it's a tradition, but to understand what Jesus did for each and every one of us so that we could have salvation and we could have an eternity with Him, so that we could be forgiven, so that shame is broken and guilt is left running. That's why we're doing this today. If you've been stuck in addiction or stuck in sin or stuck in a compromised life, this is your time right now. Jesus is here to break every chain of bondage that you are in if you turn to Him. Even in the church of Thyatira, as bad as what happened, as bad as what they allowed, they allowed this prophetess to teach us okay to have sexual immorality in their church. As bad as that was, Jesus even gave them time and opportunity to repent. Think about that. Don't ever let the enemy convince you that what you've done or what you are doing or what you're stuck in is too bad to be forgiven. Jesus already knows and He still says, come to me. He wants to forgive us and cleanse us and empower us to walk in His Spirit and His will. But we need to repent and come to Him. Revelations 2.21 Jesus said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. God wants us to know that sin is serious. If It kills the soul if it is not confessed to God and repented of. In fact, some sin does even more. Sexual immorality destroys utterly our relationship with God and mocks Him in public. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you, the Bible refers to Jesus as the bridegroom who will return for His bride, which is the church, the body of Christ. From this we can infer that God has given us the covenant of marriage to help us understand our relationship with Him. Yes, we get to experience love and we get to be united with God, someone put in our lives, but ultimately marriage is a picture of God's love with us. If we are unfaithful in that marriage, we are unfaithful to God. If we cheat on that marriage, we cheat on God. Thus, sexual immorality in action 
or in prolonged thought and schemes defines one's commitment to Jesus Christ by committing adultery with the world. This is why Jesus is so serious about sexual immorality. Now the devil, as you know, is fully aware of the evil power of sexual immorality, of fornication, of marital unfaithfulness, and of uncontrolled lust. So he has taken over the media, as you know. He has taken over the internet. He's taken over Hollywood movies. He's taken over commercials that happen in prime time of day. And TV programming. Both soft and hard porn. Almost all commercials nowadays, if you still watch TV, almost all commercials nowadays use sex and sex appeal and scantily clad men and women to sell products to pull people deeper into the bondage of sexual immorality. In fact, how many of you have ever watched a commercial and you have no idea what they're advertising? You know why? Because they're advertising sex. That's why. At the very end of something small, I, I had no idea that was about shoes or cars or soda pop, right? It's no coincidence. Listen, it's the enemy is orchestrating all this because he knows that if he pulls you into sexual immorality of any kind, it destroys your relationship with God. It's all connected. As the moral fabric of society has unraveled, what the Bible clearly identifies as sin, the world now promotes, the world now encourages, and the world now celebrates. Homosexual lust and and heterosexual lust are both sins. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. Fornication is a sin. And yet God says, if you come to me and repent of your sin and acknowledge it, because I already know you did it, I will forgive you. I will heal you. I will cleanse you. I will empower you. I will strengthen you. I will build up your conviction to hear my voice. I will give you what you need, but just come to me. God says, I already know you sinned. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to heal you and release you from your bondage. But we've got to be honest. We've got to come to Him. God has set clear standards for marriage in order to keep us faithful to Him and committed to our relationships with one another so that we can remain in His will. And the times are getting tougher. Thus, the tough warning in this letter to those who refuse to repent after they have been convicted after their sin has been called out, after they've been given the grace and the opportunity from God to repent. Revelations 2.22 Indeed, Jesus continues, I will cast her into a sickbed, speaking of that Jezebel, that spirit, that prophetess, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Again, after all that's happened, He still gives them a chance to repent. There are serious consequences, however, for those who don't. Serious consequences for the sinner and for their family. Revelations 2.23 I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. 
God searches the depths of your mind and the depths of your heart to find the true believers who are loyal to Him. Not perfect because no one is, but people who are willing to be honest before God. People who fear the Lord. Who seek to have pure motives. Who willingly submit to a Spirit-led self-examination, which we're going to do eventually today before we take communion. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to examine us And I believe right now, even as this Word is preached, that some things are coming to the surface, not to shame you, but to give it to God. God's looking to see if we're going to respond to conviction. There's nothing that we do that escapes God's notice. Our thought life, our inner motivations, our attitudes are all laid bare before the Lord, for He searches the minds and the hearts. And He is a just God, giving to everyone what they deserve, either good or bad. But understand this. None of us are perfect. We all sin and we all fall short of the grace of God. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm a sinner, I'm okay. We still need to come to God. Because when we confess, when we acknowledge our sin, when we ask Jesus to forgive us, then Jesus says, I'm going to put my blood upon you. The blood that I sacrifice, it's upon believers who have confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So now when you go, when you, when you die and God looks upon you, He does not see your sin any longer. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been made righteous with God because of Jesus. Whatever you sin, no, whatever you have done, whatever you do, we are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. When you get to heaven one day, if someone's at the, at the pearly gates and someone says, why should I let you into heaven? You say, because of Jesus Christ. Because of what He did for me. He died for me. He gave His life for me. He bled on the cross for me. It's not because of anything I have done, but because of what Jesus Christ, that's why you should let me into heaven. That's why I have the right to stand before my God and sing praises to Him. Because He has forgiven me and healed me and rescued me and delivered me. My Jesus opened the door for me. Amen? The difference in someone who sins and holds it and someone who sins and confesses and repents is in who is willing to acknowledge their sins before God. Who is willing to repent and ask for forgiveness. Who is willing with God's help to live a life worthy of Him dying for us. And we're still going to mess up and we're still going to sin, but we need to be honest with God. Revelations 2.24 Now to you, I say, Jesus continues, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, this false doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Listen, sin is already a great burden. Guilt is a bigger burden. Shame is a growing burden. Repentance is the only way to break that burden. And it is offered to us all, regardless of what we have done, but we must turn to Him now. You know the story of King David, the greatest king of Israel, before Jesus sat on the throne? God said of David, He is a man after my own heart. You know what David did? David committed sexual immorality, had an affair, 
He already had many wives and concubines as kings do to populate the kingdom. And he saw something else that wasn't his and he had an affair with the woman. And then to cover up his guilt, he had that woman's husband killed in battle. Put him on the front lines. He told his men when they, when they attack, everyone pull back and let him be killed. He was a, an adulterer and he was a murderer. And God still said he's a man after my own heart. How does that make sense? You know how? When he was convicted of his sin by Nathan the prophet, he said, forgive me, God, I have sinned. I have sinned. So all God is asking us to be honest with him and to turn to him to be forgiven and be empowered by his grace. Revelations 2.25, Jesus says, but hold fast what you have till I come. Jesus calls us all to stay alert, to press into Him, to wait expectantly for the Lord because the bridegroom is coming and the clouds will part in the sky and He's coming back for His bride. Are you ready? He calls us all to be ready. Revelations 2.26, And He who overcomes and keeps My works until the end, to Him I will give power over the nations. It's not the political movement that gives you power over the nations. It's not a governing figure that gives you power over the nations. It's Jesus Christ Himself. It's He who overcomes. This means that God knows we all have fallen. Listen, this is one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. To He who overcomes. He knows what we're up against. He knows we all sin. He knows we've all fallen. And He says, but to those who overcome... He knows we all have sinned. We are all faced with temptations and evil. But He gives us the opportunity to overcome. It is prophetic in nature to the one who is bound in sin. To the one who is continually tripped up by temptation. To the one who feels he or she is a failure. A sinner who will never be free from bondage. Yet the Bible declares, later in the book of Revelations, Revelation, that we shall overcome. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. By His stripes we are healed. That's what this Bible says. Because of what He did, we have redemption and salvation and healing and power. By His stripes we are healed. By the precious blood of Jesus we shall overcome. Thus, speaking of the nations that seek to thwart the works of God, Jesus continues to call them out. Revelation 2, 27 and 28. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give them, who's them? The one who overcomes. I will give them the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. To those who are faithful, to those who repent, to those who persevere, to those who are honest before God, to those who faithfully appropriate His grace and His forgiveness, God gives us Jesus. There is no greater gift. Revelations 2.29 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If there has ever been a message we need to hear, it's this one. 
God loves us with an everlasting love. And He doesn't want anyone or anything to get in our way of affecting our relationship with Him. So out of His infinite grace, He gives us all time and opportunity to repent. It is the only way that God can and will break the chain of bondage in our lives so that we can become free to love and to live as Jesus has called every one of us to do. Let us be open to whatever God is doing in our hearts. Let our honesty with Him be our gift to Him this day. What do you give the King of the universe? You give Him your honesty. Thank You, Jesus, for salvation, for redemption, and the opportunity to be cleansed and healed and made whole by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to ask us right now, as you hear the music playing, but knowing that God's doing a work in all of our hearts, I'm going to ask us right now to take a moment and examine our own souls, our own consciences, that have been unsettled by the searing truth of God's Word. Between each of us and God alone, let us respond to conviction. Let us acknowledge our sins, past and present. Let us seek His forgiveness and let Jesus Christ break the chains of bondage so that His people will be set free. Take a moment. And as the Holy Spirit brings things to your mind, don't shame or guilt or excuses. Just say, give it to God. God, I give this to You. I ask for Your forgiveness. Let's take a moment right now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring things to our mind and to give us courage to lay them before You. We know You see all things and know all things and each one of us has our own struggles but also our own choices. Lord God, as You have brought these things to the surface, let us have the courage to lay these things down to You. Lord God, we repent of our wrongdoing, of our sins, of impure thoughts and motives and actions and deeds. And Lord God, as we let that go, we ask for Your grace to cover us, till we stand on the truth of Your Word that You will indeed forgive us. You will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You will cleanse our minds and our hearts. And Lord God, by doing this, we understand that we have access to Holy Spirit power in our lives. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in us to rise above that sin, to rise above that temptation, to rise above that weakness or that stronghold, to be Your light in this earth, we thank You for Your forgiveness and assuring us a place in heaven when we repent honestly and come to You. Now, Lord God, look upon Your people and empower Your people to come alongside brothers and sisters, to stand with them, not to judge them, but to believe for healing and redemption for every one of us. Hold your, the body of Christ together. Hold every marriage together by the power of Jesus Christ. 
hold families together. For the kids who are lost and children who are lost in the world, we call them home. We call home the prodigal children today. Back into the family, under Your grace and care. We thank You, God, for Your perfect love and Your perfect grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.